Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, former middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 25. This is our silver anniversary show, <laughs> right? And it only took us a year. This is like, this is almost a year to the day. Almost so a year. So we started this whole thing. We should drink. We should. Like, they're like, we need an excuse. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. There we go. Like, I've never needed an excuse to have a drink. I'm just saying. But, you know, the other day I was reading some article and it was about the gray area drinking. And I'm like, I should take the quiz to see if I have a problem. I don't. I really don't. Yeah. So we're good. Are you sure? I'm not even close. It you didn't lie. Like I didn't. But, okay. you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't like to get, like, buzzed. That's my problem. I have control issues. So I don't like to lose control. So therefore, I can't really be an alcoholic because I'm always like, "Mm, no, I don't like that. So, well, you know, I was thinking about the anniversary part because isn't it's okay. So it's our one year anniversary. Isn't that paper? Which is paper. Yes. So we buy each other books, right? I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Or. We can also just trade Franzia because it comes in a paper oh. box in a silver bag. Uh, That's pretty perfect. You like it? Yes. You like okay. it? Everything you need right Franzia there. Franzia and your favorite book. There can we, we get Franzia to sponsor us? I feel like That's we give we them need. a lot of, we get them a lot of free press. I feel like Franzia should step <laughs> up. And is it Franzia or is it Franzia? Which one is it? That's You got to do the Chicago Franzia. Franzia. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's right. awesome. Oh my God. So how's things out there in Indiana? You know, I have to say, um, May was like a rockin' month because everybody that I know, thank God, was vaccinated. And oh, I had like nice. people calling me out of the woodwork saying, Hey, let's go to lunch or hey, let's do this. And I mean, like I am such a dork too, because I went to dinner with some good friends uh, Friday night and we were sitting outside on a patio. It was a beautiful night with friends having a blast. And I just kept saying over and over again, this is so amazing. <laughs> I'm like, right? they're probably like, are you stoned or something? What are you Right. Doing? But it's so, we've been so, so, so like neglected from life I and know. society for so long. That it's been like, oh, it's been impossible. I mean, I, yes, I'm excited to do it. We're just starting to open up. I think the 29th, no, when is it? Like Memorial Day weekend, they were, that's when everything is supposed to open up. Wow, big and, mm-hmm. but people are also still a little trepidatious out here. But we oh, are yeah. one of the states that are 70% vaccinated because that's how we roll out that's here in Massachusetts. Amazing. Yeah, you don't, I don't, I mean, Indiana I don't know very many people there. that don't. Yeah, no, Indiana's no. not there, but they're where I live. All, most people are vaccinated, so yeah. Well, it also like you become very like Darwin at the whole thing. I'm like, I, well, I got mine. Sorry, fool. Seriously, <laughs> except my kids aren't vaccinated. That's what makes me nervous. That does make me nervous. It does make me nervous taking the kids places because of that. But they're really good. Like, like both of them are good about wearing their masks and stuff, and it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't bother them. The other thing that I did this month, not to change the subject, but um, 
I will change the subject. Please change the subject. <laughs> I'm really had enough pandemic talk for Me last too. a lifetime. Me too. Okay. So I made a t-shirt quilt for my nephew. You're such a nerd. <laughs> I know. I made one for his older brother when he graduated. So my grandma used to make us quilts when we graduated high school. So I'm carrying on the tradition. Oh, but grandma, one more time, put your sweater on, <laughs> drink your tea with your, <gasps> you had murder she wrote on in the background while you sewed, didn't you? <laughs> you did, didn't you? Just admit yes. it. It's fine. We'll accept you. So yeah. So I did that this month too. So I'm feeling like super productive and happy to be out in the world again and all that jazz. I can tell you seem like happier. You seem lighter about the world. I'm not there yet. I know. I'm sorry. Let's clarify. I'm sorry. (laughs) I am not there yet. I am not feeling lighter or happier in any way. I feel very weighted down by the end of the school year. I feel very like, and we still, you know, like here, people won't be getting out of school until the end of June because we don't start as early as you guys do in the Midwest. But um, yeah, we went to the beach today, which was a huge thing because finally we've had a couple 80 degree days and today was like 85 and we decided to go to the beach. But I can tell you where it's not 85 degrees in New England at the beach. <laughs> and I literally had to wrap up in a blanket while my kids are swimming in the ocean. They actually swam? Of course. They're like fools. And they, I love the, it. That, that first toes in the Atlantic is like, boom. And we used to do that in Jersey too. It's like the first time in is big, but it's way warmer in Jersey. It is so much more <laughs> warmer in Jersey. Than Your boys it is on got Cape. that Irish blood in them. They're they ready do. To jump they in. definitely do because their father won't even like, he won't even touch the garden hose when it's cold out. Cause he's like, Oh, it's too cold. But, um, but that was, that's our big excitement, you know, that we can get back to the beach time. Well, I'm so glad. And also I wanted to say, Congratulations for making it through a year of homeschooling. I'm so proud of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we are we are ready to to uh, call it done, but we have a couple more weeks. But it was really fun. I really loved it, and I'm ready to do it again. The little one, we're gonna do it again with the little nugs because it worked so well. He made such huge strides that we're gonna do it again. The big one is got accepted into this really awesome charter school that we've been trying to get in for about since the day that we moved here and he got in and he's super psyched because really we wanted him to get into it for high school, but he'll be in eighth grade. So that'll be like a nice in the but that's door. good. Cause then he'll have friends when he goes. Yeah. And he has to take dance class and theater class and he has to take Latin. And it's like so Ooh. crunchy hippie that I am in love with it. And he's like, Oh my God, I might love it, but I'm not sure. And they, you know, he can play soccer and he can, it's really fun. So oh, he'll love it. It's a good one. It's a good one. We, uh, yeah. So hopefully we've just had a lot of, like we've just had a, a lot going on this month that's been sort of high stress so I think I'll be good when summer comes and you can like kick back by the pool and we tend to go to the beach at least once or twice a week because you know we only live 20 minutes yeah from the beach. yeah 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 I know. so we do beach, like beach beach I know, I know but you know we have like we got this thing the other night about like there's an increased shark population oh, no see it's one thing to be able to go to the beach but it's cold and has sharks yeah, it's a trade-off it's a big trade-off so we had that but our big news is I think I mentioned on the last one that we were going down for my husband's graduation yes and my husband speaking of which is perfectly fitting because we are talking about immigrant tales today Mm-hmm. And my life has been an immigrant tale for the last 15 years. And my little immigrant husband got his master's degree and it took him 10 years. And while we were there, I was a sobbing mess. You could only <laughs> take two guests. So my older son and I went and we watched and Villanova has always been like a huge family connection for me. I went there. I had really, really great friends that work there. The president's a good friend of mine. So it's a really, it's, it's very much a family thing. So the fact that 
my husband graduated there from, from there as well is like a huge thing for me. Congrats. But we figured out like, he kind of was reluctant to kind of, you know, acknowledge it. But when my husband first came to America, he was delivering pizza as, as it's, you know, mm-hmm. as everyone does when they come to America and suddenly your doctorate or your PhD or your engineering degree, or your, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously is, has nothing to, you know, is no good in America for some reason, because that's how they roll. And um, he delivered pizza on the Villanova campus all the time. So when we walked through there after he even got teary, we were walking through there Aww. with our son after graduation. And he told him, he was like, you need to understand that when I came to America and I did not have any money and I couldn't get a job because I couldn't get a work visa because I couldn't get, you know, anything that I used to deliver pizza on this campus that I just graduated from today with a <laughs> master's degree. Again, I'm sobbing. I was sobbing. That's awesome. It was really huge. And it was, and it was such a proud moment. And my son was just blown away. He's like, Baba, this is just, it's amazing. So it was a big pride fest. It's been a long journey. It was a really long journey to get the master's. It was a really long journey to get to America. <laughs> it was like his immigrant tale is one for the ages. But and reading these books today, I was like, oh, yeah, I got a little misty. Got a little mm-hmm. misty. So, yeah, it's always good to go back home to Philly where we where we really call home. And it's always good to have a good cheesesteak and some water ice. What did your oldest son think of Villanova? He wants to go to Villanova, <laughs> but at $65,000 a year, <laughs> I was like, good luck. He's always wanted to, he's always wanted to go to Villanova. He always wanted to go to Villanova because when we came back to America and I went, I went back to work at Villanova for a little while in the costume shop at the theater department. So he hung out there and everything. So it's just like, it's, it is a family thing. It really is like, it's a connection that we've always been connected to Villanova. You know, we always cheer them on through the final four and everything else, but yeah, he really would like to go there, but we're still paying off ours. (laughs) We are still paying off the geriatric family members, Villanova degrees first. So I don't know. We got, we got five years. We've got five years until he decides where to go. (laughs) All right. So as you mentioned, we are doing immigrant tales today. So should we get started? Let's get started. Oh, you I just took your line. Woo! I like it. Say it again. Your line. Let's get started. All right. So since you have the stronger connection to immigration, do you want to start first with yours first book? Yeah. I mean, this book, I it popped up when I was looking for, I don't even remember what it was. You know how sometimes like books pop up and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, what's this book? Like on Amazon or whatever, you're looking for something. And it's like, oh, you might like this. Well, I might like this. And I did. And I bought it. And I was like, eventually, I want to read this. And it's called The Boy at the Back of the Class. And I'm going to, and I apologize in advance because this name, I'm going to probably not say it right, but it's Onjali Ralph is the author. And this book is absolutely brilliant. Before I even get into it, though, I, you when you're reading it, you know that this is where this book came from. This is a terrible thing. I, it, it, it did come in the American news. It happened in Turkey um, I think it was 2017, 2018, when the young toddler washed up on the shore. That was yes. So that image was sort of the impetus of this book. She took this image and was, and that sort of spurred her to go and work with immigrants. She, it's a, she's a British writer. It, she, she's from England. She worked in the north of France. She worked in England with the uh, refugee camps. 
Syrian refugees. And from that came this book, The Boy at the Back of the Class. So there, we'll start with that, okay? It's not nearly as tragic as when you think like, oh my God, I don't want anything to do with a book that was for, you know, that was so tragic. But you can definitely see where where she came by that at the end. It was one of those books that I just didn't want to put down. I loved every minute of it. The main character, who you don't know, you like once I think at the like very, maybe the last 10 pages, they mention a name. You don't know the gender and you don't know anything about this main character who is delivering the entire story. And I loved it. And it was like when we read, um, we're not from here. Remember mm-hmm. that book? And mm-hmm. we did, it was the same thing. You didn't know the gender. You didn't know a name or it was, it, the name was very sort of like generic. Yeah. Lon. Yeah. It was so great because there were so many moments that in my head, I was like, I don't even care, you know, like you, cause there was a, there was a character. The characters into Tintin, which Tintin that you know is Tintin mm-hmm. in America. Um, I I know Tintin. We had the. I think there was a movie, wasn't there? A movie Tintin. Oh, maybe there was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's big in Europe. That's you know the, right. the, this character is really into Tintin and Tintin's adventures and going on adventures like Tintin, and that's sort of like why the main character does this stuff. And the most exciting thing at the very beginning of the book, the most exciting thing in the history of all nine and a half, nine excuse me, nine and three quarter year olds, <laughs> and that's what the main characters was like. But we're nine and three quarters. We're nine yeah. and three quarters. So the most exciting thing could ever happen. And that's the empty chair in the back of the class gets filled with this new boy, Ahmet. And Ahmet can't speak. And, you know, they don't know anything about him. But the main character and her group of friends who are sort of like, there's a nerdy kid. There's the crazy immigrant kid from America. There's this like goofy, um, she's Josie. She's an athlete. Like she's a soccer freak, you know. And they, again, you don't know anything more than that about hardly any of it. You don't know races. You don't know creeds. You don't know anything until it's important. And you do learn these things later. And even about the main character, you learn that that the main character is biracial. The main character does come from a family for, that was immigrants and blah, blah, blah. But it's all kind of like the cards are held very close and then dealt out only when you need to have it where you're going to go, oh, that makes really great sense. It was really fabulous. Um, the kids decide that Ahmet is, um, when he finally does get to talk, they figure out that he's there with, the, he's living with uh, this woman who they know is not his mom because he's very clearly Middle Eastern and she's like a blue eyed blonde. So they eventually figure out that he's there with a foster mom. They figure out that the woman who comes to help him every day is translating for him and they can't figure out why Ahmet can't come to recess. And that's because he came from a very traumatic situation. So they give him like decompression time and they have this wonderful teacher, Mrs. Khan, who explains everything. There's also this horrible, horrible teacher who you can smell the racism like blowing off of him. Mm -hmm. And boy, does he get his in the end, which is nice to see, but he does some pretty bad things in the way too. And I loved that because it just proved to the kids like, wow, not everybody's good. Not everybody thinks good things about refugees. Not everybody ex- accepts people for who they are. So the kids decide that they're going to help Ahmet find his parents because when he tells his story, he explains to them. It's just so well done. Mm-hmm. So he, he shows pictures, right? So in the first picture, it's him, his mom, his dad, his sister, and a cat. And then the next picture while they're going through the mountains by the time it's all five of them. Then as it gets through the mountains, the cat is gone. Then as they get to France, the sister is gone. Then as they get to someplace else, the mother is gone. And it's slowly, you don't know, but you know. its It was a really great way to illustrate. I thought she just did such a great creative job of illustrating it from a very young kid's English as a, as a new language point of view. 
Like, I can't tell you what happened, but I can show you in these pictures by taking out one part of the drawing each time. So what happened is he doesn't know where his parents are. He was separated from his mother because she got sick. Then he was separated from his father and taken into foster care and taken to England. And the last time he saw his father was in France. Now, the government makes an announcement that they're no longer going to accept any Syrian refugees. And in 10 days, they're going to close close the gates is what the kids keep saying. And they decide that they have to find Ahmed's mom and dad and sister before they can do that. And the only way they can figure out is that they are going to go ask the queen to help because the queen mom can do everything. <laughs> and they go and that's kind of where it starts and things get a little crazy and it's so awesome and it really is perfect. It's just such a great book. It is very British, but the thing that I find really interesting at the end is it also explains a lot. Um, there's a lot of stuff at the end about immigration in America. So the publishers have kind of also kind of double team that and like what you need to do to use that in either in either classroom the british flair was really fun though i really really like that part well they also had an american character yeah he was an immigrant yeah. i love that so you kind of have that contrast yep. of an american immigrant versus a refugee and the difference between that too which yeah. I thought was really interesting and then also it's in there for obviously for american kids to read this book and feel a connection to a character but it's also like the loud and outspoken one that will yeah. do everything that nobody else will do because they're prim and proper so when they need the loud kid from texas is you know that's 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 who they use for the for the moment. You know, they're like, oh well, send Tom. He's the loud American. <laughs> I mean, it works, you know. So it was pretty good. It's just a great book. It's a great book about friendship. Structurally, it's really, really well done. It's very creative. It's a total package. You feel like when you're done reading it, you feel very satisfied. You know, I did think I read this too, because I, how could I? Oh, not? did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I read five books for this podcast. So you're welcome. <laughs> you are like on crack this May. <laughs> I barely got through two. I was still finishing one this morning. <laughs> but I have to say, normally, you know, writers who try to like withhold information from the readers, it doesn't really work very well because uh -uh. they're trying to like aim for that gotcha moment or whatever and it just doesn't work ever but somehow this author managed to withhold information and only give it to you when you needed it but you weren't mad that you didn't have that information no. because first of all I think it shows how much it might have clouded your opinion starting out if you had some of the information oh totally I, especially the um the information about the main character's family yeah I would have had a different viewpoint. I mean, because it's also interesting the way that her relationship or her aunt's relationship, I should say, with the main character, like the aunt's relationship changes so abruptly as things change in the book. And I was like, you suck. You know what I mean? Like it was really well, it was just really well done. And that information that changed and was revealed then actually came out to other people. And I don't know. I just thought it was a great book. I thought it was so young. I loved that. Yes. It was so accessible. This would be such a great like fourth, fifth grade um, yeah, read the main, aloud. The main character is only nine. So, and nine and three quarters. Or nine and three quarters. And I loved it when they all signed their names on the letter. That yes. They had and they had their names. And the spellings and the way they say things. And, and they had their um, ages. And everybody's age was very specific as to, what you know, nine and one quarter, nine and three quarters, nine and, and then yeah. And they referred to the as the queendom instead of yeah, the kingdom, so which perfect. my favorite. I was like, that's brilliant. 
And it should be. But I just thought it was like such a great accessible. It's a, such a heavy topic. The whole Syrian crisis, the Syrian refugee crisis and everything that goes along with it. The separation of kids from their families, you know, siblings that don't make it all the way. I just think that it is such a tough topic and it was handled and made so accessible so well. I think this book too was so different because all the ones I read were from the viewpoint of the refugee or immigrant where this one is not. Yeah. Because if you were in Amit's head, it would be really dark, right? I mean, this kid just survived really horrible, horrible things. But you're not in his head. You're in this sort of lovable, sweet character who just wants to befriend this new kid. Well, they just want to love Amit. Yeah, yeah. they want want the excitement of this new guy. They want to know everything about him. Mm -hmm. And you're getting the, like, incredulousness of the main character who can't believe people would be mean to yes. a refugee and how dare you know how could they not want to help somebody who is being bombed you know you get all of that the bullies now. the bullies yeah, are chasing bullies. i love that i love that she always refers to them the the writer she always refers to them as like the the bullies he's running away from bullies bullies are taking his country bullies 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 and i was like that's a really great way to explain it to kids yeah, I'm so down with this book. I I was really, really into it. I really liked it. I thought it was so heartwarming. I would I would recommend it. I think it should be part of any curriculum where you're going to talk about refugees and immigrants. And again, I think that in a lot of these books, they do explain the difference between refugees and immigrants and, and it helped kids to kind of understand that. But at the same time, I think this was beautiful when she's, didn't she say something about like immigrants are looking for a new home, but refugees are looking for peace. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, and she has another book out. The star outside my window is her new book. That's just come out. And I really want to look at that one too. And that's, I think about losing a parent. I want to see how she handles that because she handles this, this topic so well that I can't imagine she wouldn't handle that topic really well too. Awesome. Too bad she's in England. We'll have to put her on the Francia list. I know we might have to jump across a pond there. Yeah. So yeah, that's the boy at the back of the class. That was a good one. Awesome. I'm down. I'm down. And that is definitely lower middle grade. So definitely both of mine are, are really great lower middle grade, which we don't come across as enough, especially with these heavier topics. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky if you can find heavy topics like this in middle grade. I mean, of course, now we're getting a lot more of it, but, um, but yeah, let alone like lower middle grade, like for third grade. Yeah. I mean, I know my kids are dorks because we watch the world news and we watch the world news with them, but they are also not citizens of one country. They are citizens of two different countries on other side of the world. And they are citizens of a country where that borders Syria. So this is, you know, like the refugee crisis in Turkey was a real thing. It is a real thing. It's not something that, you know, I think a lot of Americans kind of be like, oh, that's too bad. No, it's really has a massive effect on that country and everything happening there. And my kids know about that. They know about the the little boy that washed up on the shore, not the little one, but the big one. Uh, and what happened, that was very near where we lived in Turkey, where that, where that happened. So I think that it's really important for kids to be informed and kids to understand mm-hmm. that everybody's world is not like theirs of sunshine oh, and roses. Oh, for sure. And you know, like for them, I also think, you know, like you need to be prepared and know we do, you know, like we have this family that is on that side of the world and we have family that is right there and you need to know what's not safe. My son, my older son, it's not funny, funny, but we were watching the insurrection on the kind of unfold on the sixth. He looked at me and he's like, mom, I am 12 years old and this is the second coup I've watched. And I was like, oh my God, it is. Because when he was about 
I think he was about eight. There was a coup in Turkey and we watched it all unfold on Turkish television. And he was right there. And he's like, this is really unsettling. And I said, it should be. That's right. But that's, that's the reality. So yeah, I give it, a, I give it two thumbs up. The boy at the back of the class by Unjali Q. Ralph. Awesome. What do you got now? Okay. So what I did is I picked two books or two series basically. So the first one I wanted to talk to you about is called the front desk series. I've seen this everywhere. By Kelly Yang. Yeah. She won um, the Asian Pacific American award for the first one. I'm sure she'll probably win them for all the rest of them too, okay. because they're so great. 2018 was when the first one came out. Mine came out in 2019. I should have added that. Okay. Sorry. The first book, the and these are by Kelly Yang, the first book, The Front Desk, and then the second book I read was The Three Keys. And then there actually is a third book to this series that's coming out in the fall of this year. They're thinking maybe September. And that is called Room to Dream. So obviously, all of these have a hotel theme, and there's a very big reason for that. So these books, and I'm not surprised these books won awards because it's so fun. Okay, so it's basically about a 10-year-old Chinese immigrant girl named Mia Tang who runs a hotel in Southern California with her parents. Oh my gosh, how fun is that? That's really cute. I mean, it's perfect. Any middle grade, I mean, I was excited to read about it, but any middle schooler would love that. And she's legitimately like runs things like she, because her parents don't speak English. So she's- She's the boss. Yeah, she really is the boss. Like she runs the front desk. She talks to the customers. She does all the marketing or promoting stuff and everything. It's really so cool. Yeah, the main character is Mia Tang. And the thing is about this story, okay, so it has like this really, bright like cartoonish cover you know it really grabs your attention looks so fun and the whole hotel theme is so amazing but yet somehow this book also manages to be incredibly profound honestly that's similar to the book that you you know you were just talking about margie because these are middle grade stories the authors are very aware of the fact that they cannot approach some of these topics head-on like in the boy at the back of the class you know they they approached it by not having the refugee being the main character. Right, right, right. You know, in this book, they approach it by having things pretty much work out for Mia and her family. But yet they're also exposed to a lot of people's stories along the way because of the hotel setting, people who are who are experiencing real things that happen to real immigrants. Yeah. So, you know, so you're getting like the hard reality of what happens to some Chinese people when they come here, but yet it's really timely too. Yeah. But yet it's not really happening to the character, to the main character. I mean, so some bad things do happen. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still an exciting book and all things are going on, but but just for like parents and teachers and librarians who might worry, you know, like all the books that I read have a happy ending. I mean, not yeah. to be spoilers, but I think that's kind of important at this point to talk about because these topics are so heavy. I think one of the best things about these books too that is so cool is the author, Kelly Yang. This really mimics her life. She immigrated at the age of six and her family ran three different hotels in SoCal. And then she she helped her parents run them until she left for college at age 13, which is amazing. Are you kidding me? No. And then she went to Harvard oh Law. God. I look at the 13-year-old upstairs for me right now, and I'm like, he can barely even pick his socks up. <laughs> 
company go to college? Well, I mean, you know, if you let him run a hotel, maybe he'd learn enough. Maybe, to- <laughs> maybe that's what we're missing here. So, and then she went on to Harvard Law at 17. Of course she did. 17. I was like, I, I was learning how to make twisty cones at the Tasty Freeze, you know? I mean, are you kidding? Yeah, me? I was serving up steaks at the ranch house. <laughs> But whatever, you go, girl, you go to law school. Holy cow. So yeah, so a lot of the things that she writes about in this story are based on real experiences that they had. So, and also I should say the story is set in the 90s. So it's before all of this current, you know, increase in Asian American hate crimes and all that stuff. So, and it's, you know, it's kind of set in the Obama era, just at the beginning of some of the terrible things that were to come yet. So, you know, you don't get all of that stuff either. But so it is basically about Mia's family. Fighting poverty is a big thing in their family. Uh, discrimination. And they also have a nasty boss who owns the hotel, hotel. And his name is Mr. Yao. And he is a Chinese businessman who's been in America for a long time. Um, he's an you know Chinese American. And he owns a bunch of hotels. Can I just say, like, I love a good book where the immigrants are nasty to each other. Because sometimes that is so true. Because some Turks are so mean to some Turks because they don't want them to get ahead. Uh, That is so awesome. Just saying. I think it's great because uh, sometimes we paint this rosy picture that like, oh, you're from China. I'm from China. We should all be friends. That is not how it works. Maybe some countries, but. Right. And that is incredibly highlighted in this story because yeah, Mr. Yao makes them pay for anything that breaks, you know, and of course he doesn't pay them very much to begin with. And the family has, can never leave the hotel. They have to always be on duty. And so, you know, poor Mia watches her parents just be like run down, just constantly working. They have to accept guests in the middle of the night. So there's, they're just not sleeping. They're working all the time. So yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of really real things that are going on. And also then one of the cool things that starts to happen too, though, it's difficult, but it's also really interesting is that one of Mia's dad's good friends has come to America and he was working in a restaurant um, where the restaurant owner had taken everyone's passport so they could never leave. They were basically enslaved. Oh my God. And they got raided by ICE. And so he managed to escape and he didn't know where to go. So he had written a letter to Mia's father and asked if he could come see them. And so... (laughs) inadvertently because they helped this man they end up starting to help chinese people in similar situations that's awesome yeah by letting them stay in the hotel as they're passing through you know like to get a better job or to get a and while they're waiting to get their new papers or whatever and they kind of are hiding them from mr yao because they don't of course charge them and they help them on their way and so they get this reputation as being very helpful and then also mia who's really into writing starts keeping all of their stories, starts writing down their stories and also keeping track of where they were working so they can warn other Chinese people not to work at those places because they're not kind, you know, good to their employees. Yeah. So it's a really cool thing. So the first book also has like a super uber, what I would call Scooby-Doo happy ending, you know, which is, uh, I mean, it was so fun though for middle grade. I thought, especially even kind of, I would say even like fourth, fifth grade would really enjoy this book. So it has a super great ending where I don't know if I should give it away, but there are three books. So you 
kind of figure it out that the family ends up buying the hotel from Mr. Yao and with um, a ton of investors from all the people that they've helped along the way. Aww. Yeah. So it's really a cool story. And then the second one picks up, the second one's called The Three Keys. And The Three Keys are basically a reference to Mia and her two best friends. And one of her best friends is Lupe, who's Latin American. And they're, you know, living in Southern California during the time of when things start to really get rough. And so the second book is more about Lupe's, I mean, it's still from Mia's perspective, but it's really kind of Lupe's story and her dad. So this is kind of during that, yeah, like I said, where politicians were starting to use Latin immigrants as the scapegoats for any of the problems. Mia and her friends end up fighting to keep Lupe's father from being deported. And he's like a hardworking cable man who he owns his own business and he's an electrician and stuff. And he's been fixing things at the hotel, at the Cala Vista Hotel. And he's also one of the investors. So that's what the second book is all about. This book, it encompasses so many things. So you have Chinese American experiences. You also have African American experiences because one of their long-term residents at the hotel is a a black man who they, the family befriends. And he is, it shows how he's harassed by the police and what happens to him because of that. And then he ends up um, actually doing marketing for the hotel eventually. So he has like a happy story too. It's really fun. And then the last book that's supposed to come out this fall is the Tang family, me and her parents travel back to China. So another whole backdrop to all of this too, happening in during kind of like the nineties or the, or the Obama administration, sorry, was that China was going through huge changes. So, okay. So Mia's family came to China to get a better life. Of course, they were normal immigrants came here for work. Her dad had a work visa. The company he was working for went out of business and then that's when they had struggled with poverty and all their problems. But back in China, things were changing and all of their family ended up making a ton of money on real estate. Ah. And so their family back home was no longer poor where they came from sort of this poverty area, like everybody all of a sudden had money. And so it was really interesting that was happening while her family was struggling in the United States, was still poor, like family back in China was not. So that was a whole interesting backdrop to that too. So then in the third book, which I can't wait to read because that will be interesting to explore more of that where if the family travels back to China and see what's happening there. I think it's interesting because I think the kids need to be able to understand that there is a big difference between choosing to move to the country for a better life and all of the struggles that it's going to ensue and being able, but also knowing that when you choose to immigrate, you nothing is permanent. Nothing is guaranteed. And I think that that's what's really scary for most people that do immigrate. I think that that's really, that's a, it's an interesting one. My son is actually doing, he's reading um, County by Sevens right now for school and he's doing a project and like, what does it take to be an immigrant to America, which you would think he would know since he was one, but um, <laughs> apparently not. And he's finding it really interesting. He's like, you know, some of these laws are kind of jacked up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've you lived you through it. Here? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I think it's really, it's interesting to see people make this assumption that anybody can say, I'm going to leave China and go buy a hotel and work in America. And that's not how it is. You can't do that. I mean, it's hard. It's it's really, really hard. And it's something that I don't I don't think the average American has any clue how hard it is to be an immigrant. Oh, yeah. 
that was one of the things that I really got out of the front desk series is just those short story experiences that they would hear from other people as they're passing through. Oh my gosh. When desperate people have no choice, you have no options. And the sad thing to me was, was how few people were there to help those kind of people. It was always just people there who wanted to take advantage of those kind of people. Yeah, because they know they're desperate. I remember when we first moved back to America, we I worked in a school in Philadelphia and the custodian was Albanian and he was brilliant. And because Turkish and Albania are very similar. So he and my husband and I would often have conversations that were kind of like this bizarre turglish kind of <laughs> Albanian, you know, against this, and we could we could get a lot of information from each other because it was really similar. And he too had been an engineer. He was an automotive engineer. He was a really high-ranking automotive engineer in Albania, but now he was a custodian of a school and people do treat you like a custodian. And I think that like another friend of my son's when we lived in Indiana, she was, um, they were, they had immigrated from Iraq and she was a really big pharmacist in Iraq. And then when we met, they were living over behind the mire in Carmel in these little tiny apartments. They were they were a family of five in a two bedroom apartment while she went back and got another degree to become a pharmacist in the United States. And she worked as the as the checkout girl at CVS, because that's what she could get, you know, and I just like my engineer delivered pizza and, you know, you, you do what you can. And I think that that's, if there's one thing that makes me so incredibly frustrated is that, you know, people look down on immigrants doing those jobs. You have no idea what that person is. They could be a doctor. Yeah. You don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, that was in front desk. Mia's mom was an engineer and and she was scrubbing, you know, hotel rooms every night. So I think that's really great to be able to show that to kids because like my kids obviously know a lot about how that works. And, uh, but their friends, a lot of times their friends don't, I do find that kids ask a lot of questions. Kids will ask a lot of questions, you know, about, about like how we got here and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that kids are curious. Kids want to know and they don't, you know, it's not rude. It's not mean. I'd much rather you ask these questions than assume. I mean, I think you can only help by sharing those stories, right? And helping people to understand that it's not. Well, one would think, but then again, hello, (laughs) this is America where we have that other half. (laughs) It likes to wear red hats and believe that immigrants are not worthwhile. So (laughs) soapbox, don't let me slip. Even though they were all immigrants at one point. Right. Yes. (laughs) Please. Thank you. Unless you're part of the Sioux Nation or the Wampanoag Nation or one of those, you were, yeah, you got on the boat just like the rest of us fool. Oh yeah. Well, that's good. I'm now I'm going to have to put those on my summer reading list. Yeah. Uh, You're up next then. What did you have for your second book? My second one actually is a little book, which I had no idea when I picked it. Um, It's not a long book. It's called One Good Thing About America by Ruth Freeman. And Ruth Freeman was actually a writer. I love this. This is, I don't know why I got really like into how these books came about. I think it's because like if I wrote a book about immigration, we'd all know why I wrote a book about immigration Mm -hmm. because, you know, like we went through immigration hell. But this is really interesting to me. She was an author on tour and she was in an ESL classroom in Maine. And she was so moved by the kids and their stories that she decided to go back and get a master's in teaching to become an ESL teacher. And then this book came out of it. 
right? I mean, it's great. I worked in ESL too. I love it. I mean, I worked, I taught ESL in, in, in Turkey. And then I also worked in ESL in America. Teaching ESL in a foreign country is boring because you're there to learn English and they have to learn English and blah, 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 blah. Doing ESL in the US is awesome because all these people have totally different stories. They're amazing stories to tell. I just remember some of the stories that I heard in one of the girls that was like, oh, the coyotes brought us across the border. And I was like, I don't think you should tell me. And I don't think you should tell anyone else, but you're in third grade. So we're going to let it pass. But <laughs> it's like, they really want to tell their story. And the more language they get, the more they're ready to tell it. So, um, and that's what this story is. So this is the story of Anais, is I believe how you say it. She's adorable. And she is 10. Again, this is a lower middle grade. And this entire book, the one good thing about America is her corresponding with her Oma in the Congo. So she and her mom and her younger brother, Jean-Claude, the, the village put together all their money, the grandmother, the parents, everybody put together their money to be able to send them to America. And they ended up in Maine. And there is a huge, there's a huge um, African immigrant community in outside of Portland, Maine. So this is all pretty true to form. Again, as I said, when I first saw it on the news here, I was like, could you imagine you come from Congo and you end up in Maine? How do you not die? I mean, I, my Mediterranean husband can't live. Full winter coat, all, suit all the time. I mean, like of all places, of all places, they must freeze to death. But it's funny because they don't know what snow is when they see that. She's like joking in the book. She's like, these things kept falling from the sky and we were trying to catch them, but they would melt. And then finally someone explained they were snow. So all of these are letters back to her grandmother. And it starts in September and it goes throughout the entire first school year. And she's telling her grandmother how much she hates America. And she thought she knew English. She was the best English student in Africa. And now they all tell her that she's so bad and she doesn't know anything and her grandmother apparently must have told her that now she has to write in each letter that she sends she must give one good thing about america so that's where it comes from and she kind of tries to come up with one good thing about america but she's very confused because she doesn't understand how chickens have fingers and why Americans want to eat them and why they would possibly eat macaroni and cheese when it looks like something that fell out of her nose. It's very quirky. <laughs> it's very cute. It's really cute. You do learn as you're going through just reading the letters that she writes to her grandmother that her father was actually he's in the Congo and he's been framed for something and he's in hiding. And that's why they sent her and her younger brother and sister, her older brother, Olivier, wanted to stay back to protect the grandmother and to help the father fight because they're trying to find him. Um, And then Olivier gets attacked and then Olivier gets really badly hurt. And then it becomes the mission of trying to get him to America. And all of the books, the thing that's so cute about it is it's all spelled horribly. Like when they're talking about asylum, like a new word, S-I-L-U-M. Like she she just writes the spelling like she would just like a kid would do. Like phonetically, yeah. Phonetically. And sometimes like, oh my God, she thought that they were sending her to the Boys and Girls Club and she was so terrified. <laughs> but it was the Boys and Girls Club. But she was like, I don't want to go to the Boys and Girls Club. Why are there Boys and Girls <laughs> And all, this is the whole book is like full, full so of these cute. cute little things, like cute little misunderstandings. P.S. I have to tell one and I hope my husband never listens to this. But when you're in Philadelphia, like one of the main bridges to get into Jersey is called the Betsy Ross Bridge. So Betsy Ross, hello. Mm-hmm. She sewed the flag. She's pretty important in Philadelphia. And you always are like, oh, I'm going over the Betsy Ross. Oh, I took the Betsy, Betsy Ross back from Jersey or whatever. He came home one day and we were, my girlfriends were there. It's like, oh, was everything okay? Yeah, but but there was a lot of traffic on the Betty White Bridge. <laughs> Aww. 
I like that better. I love Betty White. <laughs> and I was like, I never laughed so hard. And the other day we were, my girlfriend was like, you know, there's a, this store we like to go, this Turkish grocery store we love to go to in Jersey. And she's like, but you know, we can only get there if we go over the Betty White Bridge. <laughs> 15 years later, he has not lived it down. He still is like, he cracks up about it. He's like, yeah, there's so much traffic on the Betty White Bridge. <laughs> That's so cute. So anyway, this is what the book is like. You know, there's a little bit of heightened trauma. They can't find the dad for a little bit. There's that like that. But then they find him. They meet somebody. You know, there's an accident, things like that in America. And her mom is really struggling. They try to get the French cleaning guy from Libya hooked up with their hot ESL teacher from Rhode (laughs) Island. Um, and it's starting to work. The thing that's really cute too is that there's a there's also a, a kid that um, a kid that comes from I think he's from is he from Syria or Iraq? One of the two. I think he might be from Iraq. Um, and then there's another girl from Somalia, and they always are make she's always making fun of this girl from Somalia because she doesn't have very much English, and she's like I don't know that's probably what she said because she only says it in Somali, and she's so sassy like she's always trashing on this girl because who knows she only says it in Somali like we all understand Somali and it's the same jokes like people are like oh did you know each other when you were in Africa like how (laughs) Americans are crazy how would we know each other so it's really funny it's a cute little book it would be a great read aloud with any immigration unit it would really be fun it would be so fun for the kids to hear it it is tough they are refugees they are they make a lot of reference to trying to get asylum It's a great learning opportunity to be able to explain Mm -hmm. what is asylum, who gets asylum, how do you get asylum, why do you need asylum, all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, they live in a shelter, It's but yet they have, she has a great little life and she's really, you know, every day she can find one good thing about America. And by the end, she really likes mac and cheese. So there you really? Go. Wow. And she keeps telling your grandma about pizza and all. It's like, oh. it's, it's, it's round like bread, but it has red on it. It's just really cute. It's, I mean, Ruth Friedman, good on you, girl. That is a hundred percent right on the money. It's exact. It sounds like it was written by an ESL kid. It sounds like, you know, everything that you would tell your grandmother when you're 10 years old. It's really, it's really Aww. great. That's fun. Uh, yeah, it's a great one too. It's a fun one. Again, it's lower middle grade for sure. Okay. And you've got another one. Yep. Moving on to my next series is a two book series by Alexandra Diaz. And the first book is called The Only Road. The second book is called Crossroads. Again, the covers on these are really beautiful. I know we like to call that out. Gorgeous. But the first book, The Only Road, is about 12-year-old Jaime and his 15-year-old cousin, Angela, their journey from Guatemala to El Norte. It's so interesting because I just finished the second book last night and it they're totally different. <laughs> they're so totally different. Okay, so the first book follows their journey, right? Um, because uh, Jaime's older brother lives on a ranch in uh, United States in New Mexico. So that's where they're trying to get because the two are forced to leave their small village in Guatemala when a violent gang uh, kills Angela's brother, who is Jaime's cousin, but he's his best friend too. So the brother Miguel, he refused to join the gang. And that's basically, so this gang is like terrorizing their town. And uh, right after the funeral, the family receives a letter from the gang telling them that Jaime and Angela will have to join the gang or die too. What? Yeah. So, and how old are the kids? 12 and 15. Oh, God. 
Yeah. So of course, you know, the family, like any family is terrified. And so they start to secretly uh, sell stuff and collect as much money as they can to send the kids to the United States where Jaime's older brother, Tomas is, he's been living there on a work visa. So they're trying to get them to him. The crazy thing is, it's like either they die there or they they die on the way could potentially die on this journey. Can you imagine? I mean, you have a 12-year-old. I have a 17-year-old. Can you imagine being in that position? No. And I think that this is such a timely thing because that's exactly what's happening right now. Of course. Yeah. And this this one, um, these books, the first one came out in 2016. Second one came out in 2018. So these are even before all the craziness that happened in the United States. Yeah. And it's still this crazy journey that, oh my gosh. And the kids even along the way, because they, their parents have sent them on this journey, start to wonder if their parents just were trying to get rid of them. You know what I'm saying? Because it's so traumatizing. (laughs) So wait, this sounds really heavy though. Are these upper middle grade? I would say the first book for sure is upper middle grade, but again, it's middle grade. Nothing happens. I mean, stuff happens to the kids, but, but not on the nothing page. directly happens to them. Like there are hints, like at one point they're traveling in inside a train car smashed in with a whole bunch of people. And the car is just left to sit on the tracks for like half a day in the desert, in the heat, and people are starting to pass out. But, you know, of course, then the door is opened just in time for them to all survive. But we know based on what's happened that other that people probably, happen. it doesn't always happen. So it's like, it's like that kind of stuff. We know that as an adult who watches the news, the kids aren't going to always pick up on that. Okay. Right. So I'm the okay kids, so the two kids themselves, nothing ever really bad happens. But again, it's similar to the front desk stories where you're getting other people's stories as they're traveling. So, you know, bad things are happening to other people, but it doesn't really happen to the main characters. That's the one thing that I think is really awesome about all these books that I read was that they don't shy away from the reality of what is actually happening to these types of refugees, but they also don't have it happen to the main characters. And the main characters have the ending is positive for the main characters. So, so yeah, so this kid, the kids are smuggled into a town where they have to get on the train and they, most, most immigrants are taking the train North. At one point they get kicked off the train because Migra, which are basically like ice agents in Mexico come in. And so everybody runs away and then they have to try to figure out what to do. And a lot of people travel on top of the trains. Um, to get by. They met people who had lost their legs or people or heard stories of people who had died trying to get on the train. But of you know, but of course our main characters get on the train safely. They took a bus at the first part and um, you know, we find out like that's really dangerous because sometimes gangs will come onto the buses or the um the immigration police will come onto the buses and take people and bad things will happen to people. So we're we're getting a lot of the reality, but we're not getting it firsthand. It's not happening to the this seems really heavy. It is pretty heavy, but I have to say, you know me, I'm too much of a softie, especially with realistic fiction. Like I have to take breaks from it. This book, I could not 
put it down. I could not stop really? listening to it. Yes. I have to say, I don't know how it didn't affect, I guess, because I just wanted to make sure the kids got there safely. Yeah. But, but the journey itself is so just like nonstop action. It was really, really fascinating. But I definitely would reserve this first book for eight, eighth, ninth grade. Seventh, okay. eighth grade. I would not let a third, fourth, fifth grader read it. It's probably just a little bit too much. Although it's a really important story right now, obviously, especially, you know, these stories about people who don't have a choice. They didn't have mm-hmm. a choice. They didn't come here to just get a job. They came here because they were in fear for their lives. T- trying to stay alive. Yeah, Stay alive. And their families wanted them to stay alive. Anyway, th- that was the first story. And, and they do make it to America because we have a second book. <laughs> and in the second Second book, much lighter, much, much lighter. So I honestly think if you had like a third, fourth, fifth grader that was interested in immigrants from South America, the second book would be great. And you get enough of a little bit of the backstory from the first book so that you know what's going on in the second book but you don't get that seriousness of what of the reality of traveling from Guatemala to to the United States is all about. Um and in the second book then is just their life in the United, in the United States and their That's work. Cool. Yeah, and in the second and book they make it, yeah. They make it. I love the second book honestly. They're living with um Tomas on a ranch and you have their really awesome characters. One of the characters is an old grizzly cowboy who's been working on the ranch for 60 years. He's fascinating. Um, so the second story is kind of a, uh, like, obviously the kids worry a little bit about getting deported, like what would happen now that they're here, what's going to happen to them. They start going to school because you don't have to be. Right. A citizen to go to school. So they start going to school and just that experience of same normal everyday middle grade kid experience of having to deal with some kids are nice to him. Some kids are not nice to him learning, learning English. They have a great teacher who's really supportive and uh, he has some teachers aren't supportive, you know, like just yeah. all of that same, same story for any kid really. And then the old cowboy ends up getting stopped by ice though and so then it kind of becomes trying to help him and but the whole second book is really amazing because it's really about like who are you if you're not if you're not born here and also if you're not ever going back kind of thing Mm -hmm. because the the main character um Jaime kind of struggles with that idea of maybe never going home and uh, his fan, you know, his parents are still living there and he worries about them. And then also like Angela really struggles um, because they've had so much loss and their journey along the way was so traumatic. Both Jaime and Angela worry that maybe their family didn't really care about them, that they sent them alone on this terrible journey, you know, and so she's she's acting out in normal teenage ways. And so um, Jaime's kind of struggling with that because they're not as close as they were on the journey, although it all works out in the end. It's it's just such a sweet story. So I highly recommend The Crossroads for any middle schooler. I definitely think the first book, The Only Road, is for a little bit older kids, but you you can definitely read the second book without having read the first book. So, I mean, the, f- the second book means more to you if you read the first book because it is a little bit lighter and you feel happy for the kids. But right, like it's a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, it's a big payoff, you know, but, um, but as far as just reading their story, the second book you could do totally on your own. But anyway, I just really enjoyed these books. I'm kind of a fan of Alexandra Diaz right now, I have to say. Awesome. I sound like, I mean, we gave you, now we've given you what? 
One, two, three, four, five, six good choices. One thing that now that we've gone through all of them that I think would be so amazing to do with like a class of kids, wouldn't it be so fun to just like, if you're talking about immigration or the difference between immigration and refugees and all that kind of stuff, have just like all of these different books and kids can just pick whichever one. one. And then book group. Yeah. You could do a whole thing on like, what are the differences between the stories? What are the, what are the same things between the stories? One thing I noticed in all those stories, pizza showed up a lot. Right? Yeah. Well, that is very American. That's how American kids get by. I was just so fascinated. I never really thought of um, pizza as being American, but that was like a huge thing. Like they felt like they'd kind of arrived when they'd eaten pizza. <laughs> I thought, nice. well, that's cool. Well, I guess it's on the t- If you see American TV, it's a big thing. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And we do eat a lot of pizza. I mean, we really do. I didn't think about it until then. But yeah, just fun stuff like that. And um. Anyway, I just thought it'd be so cool to let kids just pick across the board of all these awesome immigration there's, stories. Yeah, they're really good stories. ones. And there's not a dot in the box mm-hmm. in the gr- in the group. I think it's a really good one. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our pick six. We're going to do six ways to expose your kids to cultures other than your own. All right, Margie, I'm going to let you go first since you, I know you have a lot to say about this. So you go. Well, this is really easy for me, obviously. Um, And fortunately, some places where we've lived, we are the diversity, which does not say much. Which again, like when we were back in Philadelphia, I'm like, yeah, everybody's from somewhere else and different ethnicities. And we feel so much more comfortable there. And now we understand why. Because it is hard when you're plunked down into a very, very white area. Anyway, so as a former expat, I firmly believe that everyone should be an expat at some point in their life. You should be forced into a culture that's not your own and you got to learn how to figure it out. And that's going to open your eyes to a whole lot of things, Mm -hmm. sort of like what happened to me. Um, And then if you're really adventurous, you could try giving birth in that foreign country. (laughs) That's a tale for another day, which causes me a lot of heartache. But but we, he's alive and well, so we're all fine. So number one, one of the things that my kids like to do is they like to, when we have, whenever we go places or whenever they randomly choose an ethnic restaurant. So right now they're like on an Ethiopian kick. Um, They like Thai, they like anything like that. You might not think much of it. I mean, I don't think much of it because we always eat different foods. But um, if I think back to when I was a kid, I didn't know there was Ethiopian food. I didn't know that there was Thai food when I grew up, you know, like I didn't know that was a thing. So it's really good. Like my kids are also very adventuresome. So especially if the menu is in a language that they do not understand, they like to just randomly pick and see what I happens. So that's a really easy peasy, good way. Just pick a random restaurant that is not, well, first of all, I don't think it could be Mexican. That's too easy because we all go to Mexican restaurants in America. So it can't be American and it can't be Mexican. Maybe not even Chinese because that's a little sketchy too. Everybody's got a Chinese restaurant. So pick something new and just give it a try. It's funny because I thought of this because my older son is obsessed with going to this one in Jamaica Plain, this Ethiopian restaurant. But then all of a sudden he found a different African restaurant. And he's like, now I don't know which way to go. Which 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 part of Africa should I go to? <laughs> and I just think it's really fun that, you know, 13-year-olds are really crazy foodies like that. The second one I think is very close to my heart because I have a husband and especially two children who have very Turkish names and no one ever says their name right. When I pronounce my husband's first name, they'll often say, okay, and what's the first name? No fool, that was his first name. How about we work on that? So the biggest thing you can do as a parent or as a 
you know, teacher, especially is learn to say their name, have your kid learn to say their name. There's a, it's a huge movement now, which I'm really proud of. It's something that I'm working hard with my older son, because after living in Indiana, especially, it was really hard for him where he would just take whatever people said, or he would just shorten it down to an Americanized version. And that's not fair. That's not your name. That's not what it means. That's not the name that you like. So stand up for yourself, say what your name is, make people learn how to say it. My husband does the same thing. I think that's kind of a common immigrant thing. Whatever. You're not going to say it right. So I'll just tell you how to say it. So um, learn how to say that person's name. And if you ask them, they're not going to be mad. They're not going to be offended. I would much rather a hundred times someone especially at the doctor's office when they come out and they call. And, you know, in Boston, when you go to the doctor's office, you get a lot of, is Seamus here? Is Patrick here? And then you get a lot of these crazy foreign names, you know? And they'll always come out and be like, oh, and as soon as they make the face, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. I know it's us. So there you go. (laughs) I know it's our kid. And I'll be the first one to tell you how to say it. And people have never been offended. I've never been offended by someone asking me how to pronounce my kid's name. Both of my kids have shortened versions of their name that are a little bit more American and easy to say, but people will often say, oh, where's that name come from? And I am always proud to tell them. And now that the kids are older, they're always proud to say, well, well, it's Turkish. My name is Turkish. I'd rather you ask me than massacre it. You know, just like ask the person, how do you say your name? Uh, And they're going to probably be really happy to hear you say, where does that name come from? Because my little one is a derivative of uh, Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan. (laughs) And all you have to do is meet him for a few minutes. You're like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, you are, aren't you? So that's a great one, too. Um, my third one is something that we've been doing in the homeschool component a lot this year. But we do it just kind of for fun, too, because we're big nerds. It's just pick a country you don't know anything out and Google it. Google it. Hit the major components. What language do they speak? What are the religions there? What are some cultural traditions? What are the ethnic foods? And then again, obviously we like to eat in our family, make the food, make something from that, from that culture, make something. It's so easy. Pinterest is full of sometimes not great, sometimes great, you know, but there's a lot on there. Um, You can find anything you want on there online anymore. And so just Google it, learn something new, pick a country. It's funny. The other day we were talking about Micronesia. I once had an obsession with Micronesia after reading a Christopher Moore book. And I know way too much about Micronesia because I kept, I kept researching it. And then I had a friend who went to the Peace Corps there and he was like, I don't even know where it is. And we got obsessed with it. And um, I think it's like my kids were then obsessed. So then all of a sudden we were like spent 20 minutes online just talking about Micronesia. Who knew? But like, do that as a parent. Say, what do you want to know? You hear something in the news? Google it. Look it up. Go through it. Learn about it. Learn about the culture. And don't just let it be a country that you're like, "Ah, I don't know anything about that. And if you watch our Instagram account, you will see yours truly spent all weekend watching the rebroadcast of the Eurovision Song Contest. And you want to know some countries that you might not have heard of. They're on there. So go find it. Yeah. I just posted it online. That's awesome. It's on our Insta because I'm a nerd. What about you? What do you got? All right. Well, you know, like you, I grew up in the Midwest farming community of like 800 people. So as you can guess, there was very little diversity unless you're talking about Catholics versus Protestants. Right. (laughs) So um, struggle is real. As we've learned, the exposure is so important when it comes to having empathy and less fear of the other. But I have to say my family, my little pocket of my awesome family was so amazing with this. I grew up two hours south of Chicago in what I like to call Richard Peck country, (laughs) beloved children's author. Anyway, sorry. Um, 
It's uh, totally off topic. Um, okay. So we were close to Chicago and Chicago had an international school where a lot of people would come, adults who were, had, were working, but they would come there to learn English. But the problem was the school would close down over like Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's just, you know, what they would do. And they didn't know where to put people who couldn't just fly home for, you know, a couple of weeks. So you could sign up to host them for the holidays. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And friends do that in Iowa. Yeah. So my grandparents did this. That's cool. That is my childhood. We would have, I mean, they would always like cook for us or sing us songs or, you know, teach us words in their languages. I mean, we just had total cultural experiences for my holidays. It's huge. I mean, I love it. You like sit down at the yeah. dinner table and you're like, who's the Asian guy at the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. That's really cool though. Yeah. One year we had an older man from China and he wanted to make us wonton soup. And my grandma had to drive him like all over the place to try to find wonton wrappers for his recipe. It took for a while. But, and then another year we had these two gentlemen from South America who sang, brought their guitars and sang songs. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. So anyway, that's just a little bit about what helped widen my worldview, even though I grew up. And yeah, that's really great. So that's really influence me. So anyway, I think a great thing to do is to learn. Uh, this is one thing I do with my preschool kiddos is I teach them hello in different languages. Yeah. It's an easy one, you know, and it's something um, that's, it's simple, but it's fun. And it introduce that concept that people do speak different languages. And, and then I, on top of that, we would play this fun game where we would create an airplane, like out of cushions or chairs or whatever, just pretend, you know, it's an airplane and we would sit down and we would fly somewhere. And I, sometimes I might even like print out little pictures and we would point to a map and where we're going to fly to, and we would land there. And I might show them like some of the big sites that they would see. And then we would wave hello to people and say hello in their language. And then we would fly away again and go somewhere else. Cute. It was just a really That's fun. I don't know. I just think when you make something fun like that, it's also makes it kind of magical. And this idea mm-hmm. that traveling and learning new cultures and new uh, languages is magical. I just love that. Um, one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain is travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. True story. (laughs) Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of earth all one's lifetime. And I feel that in my soul, but I do realize that not everyone can afford to travel, but that doesn't mean you can't pretend. (laughs) I mean. True. Well, and with the interwebs, hello. I know. With books and the internet and food and all that stuff that you can do. Another fun thing I think is fun to do is learn about other holidays and other parts of the world that we don't celebrate here in the United States. Um, I think that's a really fun thing to do. My kids are a big fan of Shekhar by Ram, which comes at the end of Ramadan where you just give candy to kids. I love it. What about, have you ever heard of Vardavar? Is that what, how you pronounce it? It's in Armenia where you dump cold water on people. Kids dump buckets of cold water on people. No, we jump over a fire in July. Oh, okay. Kids jump over a fire. It's one of those things, too, that I was not a big fan of participating in. There's also National Children's Day on the 23rd of April. There's like, 
yeah, they, they, they go hard in the Middle East on holidays. <laughs> well, and then um, one of the books that came up in front desk or one of the holidays, sorry, that came up in front desk was Yulon, which is the Hungry Ghost Festival. Isn't that an awesome name for a festival where they would draw representations of things like an iPod or, uh, or I'm sorry, an uh, iPhone or something like that. And then you burn it and it's sent, you're sending it to your ancestors in the afterlife. Ring, ring. It's for you, girl. <laughs> and Connie, pick up, girl. The, I don't want to talk to these people. So you can send them whatever you want, though. You could draw them whatever, and then you burn it. I love anything where you write something on paper and you burn it. I love that. You like burning. I love that symbolism because you're. it's like just between you and the universe. It's like awesome. So anyway. Kiss it to God. <laughs> and then my last thing, which I think I've probably gone over, but you mentioned food earlier, and I think that's a great way to introduce a new culture. I love watching travel channels. Is this fat girl? Or yep. like shows of, from other cultures and finding new like candies or drinks or recipes. Like I know I've talked about how I made Cafe de Oya before. I found that one on a TV show, but you can get anything on Amazon these days. So one time I found a soda that is served in fast food restaurants only in South America. And I was like, what? How do they only have a soda that they don't serve it here? And You're such a dork. <laughs> you ordered it and got it sent to I you probably like totally overnight did. or something. I totally got it. I think I served it at Thanksgiving one year. I made everybody try My family is used to me finding like weird things that we all have to try. So it was like Guarana and it's a Brazilian, uh, it's made in Brazil, but it's like a rainforest fruit. That was the flavor of the soda. And it was so good. (laughs) My son loves it. I still order it for him sometimes just for fun. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> also, you know what? On that same token, if you have an international market, go oh, in. Oh yes. Just wander. Go in and just try some stuff. You find some really fun stuff in there. My kids love that. It's so fun to kind of with kids to like start with like candies or different desserts or something too. Because yeah. that's like a fun place to start. But anyway. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's good. It's hard to live in two cultures. So it's it's really awesome if somebody else kind of gives you that little extra kit, uh, obsession too. Yeah. Or shows an interest in your culture. You know? Yeah, 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 it's true. It is true. And it's funny because the people that you like, I have found the people that I would least expect to have an interest in it are the ones who have the biggest interest because it's usually the people that are the most kind of reserved, the most isolated in this culture are the ones who really do want to know a little bit more about where you like, well, what is that you guys are doing? Or what is that? Like, oh, well, can you bring some Turkish food? Mm-hmm. Yes, we call it food at our house, but I'll bring it. <laughs> it's like my kids are always like what are we having for dinner is it like food or is it like you know like turkish again (laughs) (laughs) one time i picked up my son from football practice and he's standing there with his friends like what are we having for dinner i'm like falafels and then (laughs) the friends are like what is that why are you so weird I love it. Uh, okay, so I guess that wraps up this episode on immigration. I hope we were helpful. <laughs> we'll definitely be back with that one. That's a t- that's a hot topic. So yeah. So what's up for our next episode, Marie? Well, you know what, Judy is break what? out your rainbow flags. It's Pride time. That's right. And you know, I love Pride. You love Pride, and we are embracing all LGBTQ plus and whatnot. And we are bringing back our special guest star, my son's, both of my son's fairy godfather, Uncle Johnny Petrie, Yay. from last year's episode. I feel like we should just call him everybody's Uncle Johnny. Yeah, like, Uncle Johnny. everybody should call him Uncle Johnny. Um, yeah, Uncle Johnny will be our special guest star, and we're going to be looking at a few titles that he's going to chime in on too and tell us from a 
from his perspective as well. Awesome. So we will have Uncle Johnny on for the next episode. Uncle Johnny is a fan favorite. And my kids this year got him, a, you know, the Snuggies that you put on. Yeah. This year they got him a full-size, I mean, at PS, he is about 6'1". They got him a full-size adult Snuggie with the entire um, outline and full on Wonder Woman body oh, that he I can wear. And, and, he, and he does, he'll FaceTime us with Wonder Woman on <laughs> and it's full on. I it's fabulous. It. so cute. All right. So he's ours, but we'll share it with you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a review and share us so more people can find us. We'd love you forever. Thank you. But if your review is bad, no, <laughs> we're not coming for you. Um, no, but we'll take it. We'll just tamper it. We'll just write down where it came from and remember it forever. And when I do some sort of nasty old Irish woman thing and start to curse you, you'll be on my list. But whatever, it happens. My grandma used to do that. Anywho. <laughs> and if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts right after you leave your good review. And if you want to find out what's happening and what I thought about Eurovision, P.S. Not great. Can't believe Italy won. Bitter still. Not worth it. Totally did not need to win. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Um, You can follow us on Tulip Mamas podcast on Instagram, Tulip Mamas on Facebook, and of course on our website, www.2twolipmamas.com. Have a great week and be kind to your immigrants. Be kind to everybody. Don't suck as a human. I'm over that. That's right. <laughs> Bye. Bye.